Meet Handy Kurniawan, global HR executive who lived and worked in seven countries, best-selling author and speaker. Learn about the struggles he faced on his road to success. All my arrogance and everything was crushed during that night. In my high school, I was the top three. I could not go into university. And that night, I... I cried. Lessons he learned on this journey. You'll be drowning in corporate world by trying to accommodate everybody. So I learned that. Yeah. I learned that. But at the beginning, I was people pleaser. Types of personality in the corporate world. If extrovert people working with all these introvert people, they think that extrovert people have no substance, for example. Introvert people work in an extrovert environment, then they don't speak, mm -hmm. then... It's hard to get the ideas out. Exactly. That was me when I was management training. <laughs> <laughs> Tips on micromanagement. If you are managing senior people and then you micromanage them, it's a sign of distrust in my opinion. It's demotivating. Tips on happy marriage. I think uh, wives... <laughs> Our kids will have podcast together. Yeah. That would be beautiful. Yeah. Wow, can't wait to see that. Yeah. So much pressure for our children. <laughs> it's okay if you guys don't feel like it. <laughs> Just a coffee. Let's dive in. Hi, thank you for coming into my life. About four and a half years ago, I got stuck because of a live lesson and I felt like a failed person. I spoke to someone and I said to him I wanted to spread positivity. And he said to me, the world doesn't need it and I would fail. I have a goal. My goal is to spread positivity and help 1 million people think differently so that they can become better at what they do. If you also believe the world needs more positive energy, please join us on this journey and consider subscribing to our channel. We often feel bad about getting stuck, but what if getting stuck is a reminder that we have outgrown the known path? I'm Aaron Pang, and this is a Transformative Purpose. Hey, Handy. Welcome to our show. So I'm gonna start off our conversation with a question that our previous guest wanted to ask you. His name is Vincent. Mm. So the question that Vincent Hiscox wanted to ask you is, tell us a story of something didn't work and why it didn't work. Something didn't work in my life. Of course, there are a lot, right? And as I become more mature in life, I think it's just a normal things that is happening in life. So for example, recently I observed before COVID, I always make New Year's resolutions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To me, it always worked in the past. I think every time I make my New, Re New Year's resolutions, between 80 to 90%, I will achieve it because I'm, I was very focused and I was very satisfied. During COVID, everything didn't work and we are close to basically COVID for three years, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of things that I planned didn't work. So this year, I, although I'm a bit hesitant, but I start to make a New Year's resolutions again and I'll see how. Yeah. Because I think we still need to have something that we can look forward to. Mm -hmm. But now I realize that life is just, just ticking the box. 
and achieve this achievement or that achievement. So I think that answers your question. So what new year resolution have you got for 2024? Can you tell us one thing? Yeah, the difference is before COVID, <clears throat> a lot of uh, my new year's resolution were more like achievement. Mm. Like making books. Mm. Uh, well, you've you, written a few too, here's one of them. Yes. I think without me putting it into the my new year's, new year's resolution, probably I didn't have the compass. And because of that, I can focus that I need to achieve books. And I have um, authored four books, right? So it worked in the past. Now, this year, my New Year's resolution is more like uh, becoming more grateful, more about my mindset and being more acceptance on what life will bring for you. I think that's really a big difference between my previous New Year's resolution and this year's resolution. Of course, I still put some this achievement, that achievement, but um, mm. the emphasis is really more on mindset and grateful and happiness in life with family. Yeah. Why, why change now? Why gratitude and happiness now? I think COVID changed a lot. COVID changed a lot. And I observed because of COVID also, I think more people are becoming more vulnerable. They actually wanted to share their life challenges. And I am... That's why we're here, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm also actually very surprised that uh, most of the people that I thought they were amazing and everything went smooth, not true at all. A lot of people who have a lot of achievement, they have a lot of challenges in their life. So that's why I think being grateful is very important. People still think that you need to think long-term, but when, what COVID taught us, actually, what is long-term? <laughs> Even you just think about if you survive, if you're healthy, should be grateful. So I learned that. I think I learned to be patient. And uh, yeah, this is, I think this is a part of new life journey mm. for me. Gratitude is more about the little things. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. I need to share you this. So this is, we just celebrated New Year, right? Mm -hmm. 2024. Until end of 2023, I, when I reflect back, actually I have a lot of like, why 2023 was so challenging. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to my friends and look at social media even, some people being more open that 2023 was very challenging. Yeah. Actually, right? It was think, very challenging for us. It was very challenging for a lot of people, actually. Those who didn't feel that way, I think either they're so lucky mm. or they didn't really open up. But for me also, 2023 was very challenging. But then uh, on the last day of 2023, I tried to, I tried to be grateful. I tried to think what Blessings actually I had during the 2023 and I tried to list them down. At least I have 12 things that I should be grateful for. <laughs> and then I thought, oh gosh, uh, I should be grateful. Yeah. 12 things to be grateful for in 2023, that means once a month. Mm. And that is sufficient. Yeah. I have this gratitude practice mm. started at mid. Uh, 2023. Mm. So I think at least one thing. Mm. First thing when I get up, mm. 
and before I go to bed. Mm. And now I'm trying to teach my son to do that. So mm. every every night before he goes to bed, I'll ask him three questions. Mm. What are you? Tell me one thing. One thing or one one person that you're grateful for, and why is that? Did you did you experience any big mm. emotion today? Mm. How did you feel? This is to teach him to separate between himself and his emotion. Yeah. And then the last item is like, just tell me one thing that you look forward to. Something you want to do tomorrow. Yeah. So I, basically, every every night before he goes to bed, I just ask him these three questions. And now when I miss this, when I miss that routine, he will ask me, "Whoa, Daddy, you've been naughty. We haven't done <laughs> we haven't done our journal yet." <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, in fact, Aaron, you invited me to your session last year, right? And then as a as a gift, I think you share one card, things that I'm grateful for. And you know what? Actually, I put it in my office. Oh wow! Thank you. Yeah, it's to me like when I look at it. Oh yeah. Things to be grateful for. Means a lot. I think it's good. Uh, I think that this uh, practice of gratitude is very important. I try to do it, although not relig- religiously, not every day. I, I do that, uh, especially when the challenges are there. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm so grateful that by the end of 2023, I was still able to reflect that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know what 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 you have done in uh, in the year end, thirty first December. What did you do? We went to a carnival <laughs> 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 and uh, just playing games, playing rides with my wife, and the kids were asleep. And I uh, did a little countdown with you know with strangers. Right. Yeah. So for me, I slept at nine p.m. and I have the best sleep. In 2023, yeah. I slept from 9 p.m. and I woke up at 7, so it's like, what, 10 hours? Wow. And I felt very peaceful mm. when I wake up. Mm. I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm so glad that I experienced it. <laughs> so one, one other tip, uh, if you want to practice more gratitude. Uh, so in the past, I've written a, um, a question on a post-it and I stick it on the mirror of my bathroom because mm. that's the first thing most of us do when we go to the bathroom and wash our face and on a post-it I wrote what are you grateful for so instantly it becomes like a work cue mm. in your environment to remind you to do more of those things uh, if it's gratitude that you want to build up or anything mm. any habit um, that anyone wants to build up mm. uh, so I always suggest people to inject more cues they could be work cues or it could be, you know, if you want to work out first thing in the morning, just dress up the night before, pack all your bags and make sure you're ready to go. So mm. minimize your friction um, to the lowest possible. I actually learned, you know, again, before COVID, I learned that if you want to be happy, do things that make you happy more. Right? Mm. But then suddenly we are frozen up in three years that... Uh, I love meeting people, for example, that we are not allowed to meet a lot of people. And then when we meet, when we meet people, I'm a, I'm a hugger. I love hugging people, right? Oh, yeah. uh, then cannot do that. People are afraid of it. So I think we lost this human connection. Mm. And we could not do things that we normally do. Yeah. I think that also changed the habit. Yeah. Even the, hash, the handshake, right? I think exactly. Yeah. we became elbow shake. Exactly, elbow shake. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I noticed now we are opening up again. Mm. I think there's, uh, yeah, let's put a lot of hope. Yeah. Look, I'm really grateful for this chat, right? And 
And like I said before our chat, you, I think you're the first Indonesian on my show. Oh, thank you. And I want to learn about your your your, your upbringing. Yes. You grew up in Indonesia and you travel around the world, eight global cities, yeah. big jobs. Yeah. What what hardship did you face or what challenges did you have to overcome? Yeah, so I actually came from a small city. Indonesia is big, 275 million people. Uh, one of the islands is Java, the most populated island. So I come from a small city in Java and uh, I am grateful because my parents work hard and they used to have a successful business, but they were married young. So my mom had me when she was 20 years old, my father 21 years old. Long story short, after 17 years, uh, they were separated and the business went south. And that was really hard for us. After the divorce or during the divorce? During the period. It's, uh, I, I believe that uh, during that kind of process, it's not like, it's overlapping. It's mixed. It's very, very confusing, right? And uh, as a kid, it was very challenging because I was uh, a teenage age, yeah, teenager, seven years old. They were separated and have to, then my mom moved out from our city, even a smaller city. So she rented a house, a small house. And uh, when, it, when it rains, it's really flooding. So I experienced that with my brother. It's really, really challenging. Even I was a good student. And the reason I was a good student, because I thought it will be liberating. It will liberate us, liberate me from poverty. Right? Did it? It does. It does. That's why. Uh, so they used to have successful business, used to have multiple houses, and then all have to sold out, right? Gone. It's not just zero, it's minus. And I almost could not go into university, although I was a good student. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to, uh, he told, told me that, uh, why don't you study abroad? So I was so happy, right? I said, yeah, okay, I to study abroad. But then it crashed, everything crashed. So I could not go into the university. Uh, and that was very, very hard. And uh, I sat up, I talked to my mom. Mom, why don't I go to Jakarta? I can do part-time job so that I can also finance my study. My mom told me, don't go to Jakarta. If you go to Jakarta, you will not be able to complete your study. Go to a smaller city. Then I was thinking of Jogja, Jogjakarta. It's um, a city, a lot of students. And much cheaper. And I think in terms of, I think it's one of the cheapest city to study. A lot of a lot of students there. Great, great city. And I apply for not the top university. I apply for mid middle university. And I told my mom, mom, you know what? I can accept it to this university. And I think uh, it's it's cheap enough. You know, per per semester per, per credit. It's only in Hong Kong dollars ten. <laughs> Ten Hong Kong dollar. Wow. This is, this is Indonesian back then, right? Yeah. Like 25, 30, 30 years ago. 
my mom said even can you find a cheaper one oh, that's, oh that wasn't cheap enough that wasn't cheap enough so you know but i experienced something spiritual if you don't mind i was basically all my arrogance and everything was crushed during that night i thought that i was a smart student i thought i was working very hard in my high school i was the top three i could not go into university so at that night i i cried did you cry alone huh did you cry alone i cried alone i cried alone in the room uh and and then talking about spiritual at night i receive a hearing somehow i hear that don't worry my grace is sufficient for you i was i didn't go to the church at the time i wasn't spiritual i didn't understand what it mean but i hear my grace is sufficient and that delights me when i woke up somehow i am more hopeful again mm. and then on that day my mom, my mom said i will do my best to get you into this university mm. long story short she at least have the money for me to pay the initial uh, tuition and i went to the university my uncle support my study so that was the early part of hardship that i experienced that was the first hardship that was not easy so from then on i committed that i need to study hard i need to get cum laude and i need to work as soon as possible mm. and i worked along the way during my university to ensure that uh, yeah i was the fastest student i graduated very fast i think less than three and a half years uh got a cum laude and then i got internship in general electric then i went to general electric and then start working in a in a corporate world in a corporate world mm. Mm. there are other har- hardship but that was uh, one of the hardest yeah so let's talk about the transition yeah. uh, into the corporate world yeah is the corporate world what you think it was uh yeah when you started from the bottom corporate world is like heaven <laughs> you earn your money yeah right uh with that money you can pay your rent you can date a girl you can do whatever you want right yeah. so oh, that was that was the belief system um one of my parents Mm. And try to teach me to just work hard in life. Uh, my dad has this mantra. He used to say this a lot. Mm. Diligence always pays. He wanted to remind me of hard work. Don't worry about dating. Don't worry about you know mm. relationships. You know when you're successful, those those things will come. You know, as a child, as a teenager, I think you just absorb. Mm. You're you're a sponge, right? Um, but the reality of the world is so different. Yeah. It's so different, and I, as you were, as I was hearing your sharing, I, 
I I always had this urgency mm. to do things as soon as possible, to finish all my studies as soon as possible, to mm. go out there and earn money. Mm-hmm. And I was just like you. I had the choice of choosing between medicine, mm. actuarial, and um, and law. Mm. And I chose the shortest one because I, two of my cousins were doing quite well mm. at insurance companies and they were making big bucks. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably the path I want to take, the shortest path. Mm. Uh, and to make money and to climb the corporate ladder. And I suffered for it. Mm. I chose actuarial for my first year, had no passion for maths. Mm. I studied my butt off and I was cramming for the finals at my best friend's house until 2, 3 in the morning and I went to the bathroom and bang, that was when I got the facial paralysis. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read your book and you... I in GE. At the time, number one company in the world. It was great, right? I... I'm lucky and also grateful because I graduated from a local university mm. in Georgia. I worked in GE, which is which was the number one company in the world back then. And then everybody said that, you know what, you're a you you have cum laude, this one. Don't just be a finance person. I was in finance at the time. Join the financial management program. So that was the GE exclusive management training, two years program. Fantastic, right? I joined the program. I was interviewed and all that. Then I was qualified and then I joined the program. So this is the second uh, challenges in corporate world. Okay. From local university in Indonesia, then I start to mingle with people who graduated from Harvard, from Oxford, from Cambridge, <laughs> and from the Ivy League schools, you know, from everywhere. Uh, then it was actually quite a corporate culture shock. Mm. I have this inferiority complex, right? Uh, the education system in Indonesia back then is really, maybe still valid until today. Basically, as a student, you listen to your teacher, and when the teacher asks, then you reply, right? But from people from this university, they are used to really like having assertive talk, right? Uh, so it was tough. It was tough. So the first half, the first year, the first half, first and a half years in G was very, very tough. Until then, how, I think, how can I stand out from all these people? Nobody even talked to me. I was really like, they don't even bother to speak to me. How did you behave? I was like, just shy. And uh, it, it was tough until then the good thing is with perseverance. So there's one time that uh, there's an exam and I got 100 perfect score. I think I was the only one who got 100. And then the rest of the people start talking to me. Oh, you got respect. <laughs> that was like uh, enlightening for me. Mm. And then mm. it builds my confidence. Yeah. It builds my confidence. And then along the way, I start to learn not only from the executive, but I also learned from my my peers, mm. from these empty people. They are really good in presentation, talking and all that. I learned. I think you touched on a very important point, right? Mm. With this traditional educational system, mm. people always get left behind. Yeah. And sometimes it's not their fault. Sometimes it could be the system is not designed for them. Mm. It could be a misfit. Yeah. And also, uh, now I live in many countries, I think, I think because I work in 
Western corporations, right? That value people who are able to speak, who are articulate. Uh, but when I compare to companies, uh, for example, Asian companies, they actually like people who are diligent, who don't speak much. Who <laughs> <laughs> challenge me. <laughs> yeah, yeah they just do your work, just do your, your work very well. Yeah. So probably that education system fits to this kind of uh, company. Uh, on the other hand, when I work in these uh, Asian companies using the Western style that I always adopted, I had ch- challenges because I cannot speak much. But I think the good thing about human being is you have to adapt. Mm. You need to adapt. How did you adapt? Uh, it's not easy. I mean, eight cities, that are, that's, that's a lot of ad- adaptation. Oh, you bet. Of course. Of course. I had a boss when I worked in Malaysia, for example. Before you speak to him, you have to go to the secretary. You have to knock the door. Then you only enter the room. And then when I moved to Singapore, I worked with people from the from UK, from US, right? Before I want to enter the room, I wait at the door, and knock the door. I knock at the door first, and then they ask me, "Why you were always waiting at the door and knock the door?" It's a sign of lack of confidence. I said, "See, that's a habit." Then you have to change again. Yeah. Right. So yeah, everywhere we go, I think we need to observe and adapt, and I think. Human being is able to do this, but we always need to learn. That's why I think ability to really learn from life is very important. Your ability to adapt and change, hmm. how much of that is attributed to the failed marriage hmm. back home hmm. or moving to a smaller city? Living in poverty, mm. or just seeing your family going bankrupt because of because the business went south. You know, which part of that, or did all of those things sort of attributed to your personality today? How I believe you- I believe there is a uh, it contributes thinking positively when you were desperate. Yeah, when you felt hopeless. Yeah, right. Mm. And you worked so hard. You mentioned you worked so hard, and mm. you're one of the top students and. You still couldn't get into university, and it almost felt as if you went two steps back, yeah, in order to get a spot at a table to yeah. go to university. It makes you humble, actually. <laughs> think positively. It makes you really, really humble. And uh, I think my my mom always taught me uh, because at the time also we lived with our with my grandparents from other side. And uh, he actually got angry a lot. He used to have a drinking problem. He loves to drink. And when he drink, then he will summon everybody. He will summon our employee and he will just lecture. And uh, myself sometimes included. So my mom always told me that be able to read your grandpa. Right? And... Uh, so positive thing and negative thing. Positive thing is I was trained to be able to adapt to people. The negative side is I become a people pleaser and it carries on until uh, working in a corporate world, especially at, at my early career. Of course, then I learned along the way Then when I become managers and onward that you cannot please everybody. Otherwise, you'll be, you'll be drowning in corporate world by trying to accommodate everybody. Mm. 
So I learned that. Yeah. I learned that. But at the beginning, I was a people pleaser. Yeah. I tried to please my boss. I tried to please my peers. I tried yeah. to please my friends. Uh, even from a simple, simple thing that I, why don't we go out for dinner and all that? And uh, it's, it's for me, I don't want to say no. Yeah. To that extent. So how long did it take you to learn to say no in the corporate world? Many years. And how do you say no? Now I'm comfortable to say. Let's no. say share with our listeners who are, I guess, still early on with the career or in their in between jobs. Of course, uh, then there is a transition. The transition was, for example, instead of saying no, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm a bit more busy. I cannot join you, right? But now, uh, if I was in the similar situation, I say, oh, thank you, sorry, I'm very busy. Yeah. <laughs> you go ahead. And I didn't feel anything. <laughs> so you were trained as you, as you are more mature. Yeah? Yeah. And I think I, I learned that uh, the good thing about people who, uh, who become more mature with age or whatever, they become more of themselves. Oh, if they are not, I feel pity for them. If they, if they are still not able to say no, for example. Uh, which I have, I'm sure we have a lot of friends who are still like that one, right? Mm. Not able to say no. Yeah, I, I learned, learned from the corporate world. I learned from the books also. Mm-hmm. Do not seek for acceptance too much. Yeah. The first thing you got to do is accept yourself. Exactly. Right. That you're unique. And this is actually one of the things I've learned in, in the last few years mm. is that sometimes we could spend so much of our energy trying to convert those no's into yeses. Yeah. When indeed there's a much bigger world out there, there are a lot of people willingly say yes and they believe in what you do. Yeah. 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 Of course, sometimes you also have to do give and take also. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you, you actually don't want to, but you say yes because it's a reciprocate or something like yeah. that. But you, I think what I suggest here is, Every decision you make, it has to be conscious. Mm. And you know the consequence of that decision. Don't become autopilot, I guess, when we're making decisions, but do it for the sake of doing. Yeah, yeah. Right. I've heard this analogy once, and someone once mentioned that relationship is like a bank account. Mm. Like sometimes you need to deposit into the relationship. And, you know, when you make requests, that is when you're drawing from the bank account. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I also believe that you're a human being. We don't live in isolation. Yeah. We need other people, right? Yeah. So am I right now? Am I depositing or am I withdrawing from a relationship? <laughs> <laughs> I think we are depositing to each other. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Hey, tell us about your book. What is? Why did you, you wrote four books? You author four books. Mm. Why did you start writing? Why do I start writing? Yeah. Why did you start writing? Mm. So my first three books was about was about uh, global career. Uh, my mission at the time when I started my first book was to help Indonesian professional and students to be able to collaborate and compete with uh, professional and students all over the world because of my experience, right, in the past, right? I know a lot of people in Indonesia wants to have this international experience. So I was uh, privileged to have this experience and I want to share it. And that's why it, it worked very well. I think uh, the book has inspired a lot of students and professionals. Now this, 
fourth book, uh, I collaborate with my uh, ex-boss, uh, David Wee. Uh, he is LinkedIn superstar now, but when he started, he only have like 220 followers, I think, including his wife. <laughs> but he shares something that is valuable. He has now 150,000 LinkedIn followers or something like that. Uh, I thought that, hey, David, you have a lot of great advice. Why don't we collaborate together? He forgot that I, I have written three books. So he asked me, have you written books before? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, three books. Then he just said, okay. No brainer. Yeah. And then collaborate on this one. Uh, uh, most of the content was his advice. I helped him to make it a good structure, um, make it logical. And I also put my personal stories there. And most of his advice are aligned to my values as well. That's why the process of this book was very fun. And I think, yeah, it's uh, when people read this, uh, they think it is, it is helpful, like, like your book. <laughs> Can you, can you share maybe a couple of your top career advices mm. that would be applicable for anyone? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the chapters that attract a lot of attention from this book was about introvert and extrovert. So David was introvert, very introvert. I am extrovert, but I am not authentically extrovert also. Uh, I think we shared before the podcast that I was also introvert before, but I think, I think my seat is actually extrovert. I love meeting people. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. Meeting with people give me energy. But David was introvert. So in this book, uh, there's a tips for introvert, how they can, uh, grow in their career. And I have also given tips from extrovert how they can grow their career. Because sometimes, whether you're introvert or extrovert, there's pluses and minuses. Mm -hmm. Not always that extrovert people get everything that they want, depending on the context, depending on the situation. If extrovert people working with all these introvert people, they think that extrovert people have no substance, for example. On the other hand, introvert people work in an extrovert environment, then they don't speak, then it's hard to get the ideas out. Exactly. That was me when I was management training. <laughs> <laughs> right? So yes, so this book uh, talked about that and many other things. Yeah. So other than introversion, extroversion? Micromanagement, for example. Mm. Uh, Huge one in Asia, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. I don't know somehow why people really want to have that power and micromanage. Is micromanagement a problem or a solution to performance? So what I believe, because I micromanaging is not my type. I love to put the goals, make the goals very clear, and I will let the people or team achieve that goals in their own way. I love really. But Young people, for example, will need guidance, right? So sometimes you need to micro, micromanage, but it's not really micro. It's, it's giving them guidance, giving them advice. They need it. These young people, or if they are new to the organization, for example. But if 
you are managing senior people and then you micromanage them, it's a sign of distrust in my opinion. It's demotivating. Have you been micromanaged before? Have I been micromanaged before? Of course. How do you deal how did you deal with that? Before I was not able to express my concern, it was horrible. Right? I just let them micromanage me and I suppressed it. Now uh, I am able to express more. So I said jokingly, but the boss, I know how to do this. Trust me, I'll get it done. It doesn't mean that the boss will stop micromanaging me. Yeah. <laughs> but I express. I think when my, I think when my wife does that with me, I call it um, passive aggressive. Mm. <laughs> That's passive aggressive, right? right? Yeah, yeah. You draw that subtle cue, like almost calling out the behavior, but being respectful at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, wives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they want to control in certain area. Yeah, for example, kids or. Household or whatever, right? Yeah. But for me, it's like, okay, yeah. if, if you are the expert in managing all that one, actually, yeah. I leave it to them. Actually, they micromanage us. Yeah. Actually, my wife and I, we're quite territorial in a way that we have clear lines of responsibility. Oh, okay, good. Fashion, clothing, stuff that I wear, that's like clearly her responsibility. That's her passion. Her responsibility. <laughs> yeah. oh. So like I, I, she, she told me what to wear today. Okay. And uh, before the before the the interview, I have actually had my sip up, and okay. then she was like, "Just lower your sip." <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's better contrast. Okay. Yeah. And then you know there are other things where sort of the the, the bigger decisions, I will have more say in those. But I think that the point that I'm trying to make is that you know, mer- I'm a product of failed marriages. Mm. So we're the same. We're the same. And I can't say enough is it's probably better not to get married than to get married with the wrong person. Absolutely. And also be mindful of the collateral damages you can do with children. Yeah. So if I may ask you, so until how old? Like me was until 17 years old, right? No, my mom, my mom and dad, they stayed together, but um, there was another marriage um, okay. before they met. There was a lot of misunderstanding between both families. But the good news is I actually had a reunion with my step, with two of my step siblings. I have four, which I now call them brothers and sisters. Okay. First time we had coffee, I, I had a chat with my sister. She really looks out for me now. And so is my other brother. Mm. And went to Starbucks for a cup of coffee. And I remember the night before my, my wife asked me, are you nervous? What are you going to talk about? And I was like, I didn't have any script. I was, and I was like, I'm just going to go in and have this conversation like a grown up, and I'll just tell her exactly how it was like, how it, I felt as a child in my family. I opened up and then she opened up with her side and they both realized that we're both victims, you know, of a marriage that didn't work, work out. But I think the, the beautiful thing we also recognize is that, you know, we're also grateful that because my, my dad has been quite responsible mm. in terms of the upbringing mm. uh, of, of his children. Uh, he's he's very, always responsible. Yeah, he's always responsible. There was mm. a, this story that I, I, I often share with other people and uh, it was quite memorable for me. Mm. So I was in year one. I, I was studying abroad. I was in Sydney and I didn't want to ask my parents for money. So I 
I brought a loan from one of my close friends. I brought like four thousand uh, Aussie to buy a Korean rented car, uh, a hatchback, secondhand car, and then I had to work a couple of part time jobs just to pay off that loan. I think about one or two weeks time, my dad found out, mm. right? And it was doing some research on that car. It was a Hyundai hatchback. Mm. This, uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Hyundai. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fact was, so happened during that week, there was a, there was an accident with the same make and the same model of the car in a highway in Korea. And apparently that car blew up in the middle of the highway and my dad read it and he freaked out. Mm. Next thing I know, he bought a one-way ticket, flew all the way to Australia, which is about 10 hours from Hong Kong, and then made me trade in my car so I can get a different car. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. it. Um, so both your father and mom being a responsible parents yeah. to you. Yeah. Okay. So for me, uh, it was a recovery process between me and my dad. Mm. So we were not close until probably when I was in 32, 33 or 35. That's only, uh, now we are fine again. Thankfully we are fine again. This life process, but it was, it was hard. Mm. I was I bet. like, uh, yeah, blame him and, and all that. Yeah. Uh, but I forgive him. We forgive each other. So I went through that process. That's a, yeah. another story. Yeah, <laughs> this is another conversation that yeah. can last for hours. Uh, but yeah, and very grateful for for my parents. And I mean, I often said that you you know we are the person we are today because of the past, yeah. right? We can't do anything about the past. Yeah. The only thing that is within our control is redefine the relationship we have with the past, exactly. right? Yes. And then grow from it. And I think for our generation, we are facing a different set of challenges than the previous generation. You know, my, our mom and dad are always about, you know, feeding us, yeah. just keeping us alive. Whereas our generation, even more so for the next generation, mm. we all have the luxury to chase a high purpose, mm. right? Self-actualization. Mm. We can talk about coaching because we don't need to worry about food. Yeah, We don't need to worry about, um, you know, being, being in the middle of war. Mm. We don't need to worry about anything, a security, for example. There's more reason to be grateful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Yeah. You've become a father quite recently. Mm. What have you learned? I feel, first of all, joy. And I'm so grateful because before you have a baby, you never know what your baby will look like, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so when she's healthy and uh, happy and everything now, one years old, then you can you can see and I see my daughter. It's such, such a joy, such a joy. But that's number one. Number two, the emotion that I have is I think there is a really a sense of responsibility, especially uh, with what I experienced as a kid, as parents, right? You wanna you wanna do a better job as a parent mm. to give something better for your kid. So I I really feel that. I feel a sense of responsibilities. But I think the challenge is every generation have their own unique challenges. So for us, emerging from COVID was very hard actually. Was very hard. 
at the beginning, for example, when my uh, last year, Hong Kong just emerged from COVID, people still wear masks and you take the baby travel around, you're worried if the baby got sick and all that. And us, for example, uh, to be mentally and emotionally recover from COVID period, I think the scars are still there. Yeah. Yeah. The work has become more challenging. Yeah. Right? Uh, the technology becomes more complicated with AI and all that. So yeah. I, I slightly think about yeah. so what will our kids do in the future? Yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's so true. I mean, thinking back, I, I never thought in our generation we'll see something like that. I thought now I like really I thought 9-11 was probably the worst thing. Yeah. From my from my distant memory. Mm. And then you had COVID. Right? Every everybody is everywhere shot. And then there was uncertainty, uh, losing people. Yeah. Right? One in six or one in seven people now have mental health issues. Mm. Right. Exactly. So every generation have their own challenges. Uh, yeah, I think human history we evolve and again adapt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm sure when you look at your kids, when I look at my baby, pretty happy. So <laughs> let's it talk about your strengths. <laughs> let's talk about life skills that you want to raise mm. your child or the next generation with, right? What do you think are the top? maybe two life skills that us as fathers or as parents need to be more intentional in terms of teaching the next generation? It's such great questions. I, I thought about it, but I haven't really crystallized my, my thinking. Why don't you start first? <laughs> <laughs> oh, mm. I have a few mm. actually. Uh, well, I've actually have quite quite a few. I think being able to focus and stay present—that's um, number one. Like really, up, like especially with technology, you know, ChatGPT and all the great technologies yeah. out there. I think people need to understand and go even one step deeper as to how technologies are serving them today, mm. right? And why are they using technologies? And don't get me wrong, I think technologies, when used well, they are a great distraction for entertainment, for educational purposes. But when you're not intentional about how you're spending time on technologies, it could lead you to this vicious cycle because social media company, for example, they hire social engineers so they can get you hooked and spend more time on their content, right? Tech companies are trying to get you to spend more time on the platform, right? Where are the ethics, right? Where are the ethics? Yeah, the parents are the ethics. The the individuals, the kids are the are the ethics. Mm. So I think as parents, we need to teach them about you know how to use technologies, raise raise kids that have self awareness mm. mm. about not just technologies, what anything mm. are doing to their well being. It might not be technologies, it could be drugs, could be mm. sex, mm. could be porn, mm. right? Mm. I never had a cell phone until I was maybe my close to 20, maybe 18 or 19. Mm. Now, obviously, I was a lot more mature then, 
but then you give a smartphone. Now uh, a kid, five year old, can have access to a smartphone. Think about how accessible yeah. it is for them to just look at porn content yeah. at such a young age. Yeah, all these information, right? right? And and you know from studies that they, your brain get wired based on what information you feed the brain, mm. right? So I think if we don't, so we need to parent with with, with intention. I think uh, paying. Just being able to stay present and focus uh, is probably for me is probably the one of the one of the biggest things. Maybe the second thing would be to stop looking at the world as a zero sum game. Mm. Look at our world as net game, mm. right? We see so much conflicts, mm. and honestly, I think as commoners, I don't think I, I probably I should speak for myself. I don't think we want to see conflicts. Mm. Right, mm. and all these great virtues we're trying to teach our our children to t- to solve problems. I think as grown ups, a lot of us are not walking the talk. Mm. Right, we're using violence to resolve conflicts mm. mm. when we can all work together to build a much more productive and much more, I guess, peaceful world. Mm. In my talk to mm. thank you for that. For me, uh, let me try to crystallize this. So. Yeah, I think two things that I purposefully want to instill to my kid. Number one uh, is to teach her to be resilient in life. I think it's very important because I think really uh, the COVID period that we experience, although we are not living in a country where there's war or something like that, but I think resilience is very, very important because life challenges always happen in every generation, whether it's internal or external. I think without resilience, people will lose hope. So this is what I want to teach my daughter on how to be resilient. See the problem as challenges. See that challenges are normal. And every solution must have, every problems must have solutions. So this one. The second thing, what I want to pur- purposefully teach my daughter is how to exercise wisdom. Every day we are dealing with a lot of decision to make from a small, small thing to a big, big thing, right? I think smart it's not enough. Uh, science and facts are not enough. I think really wisdom is very important here. Mm. Because with, with wisdom, you're not just making a, a short-term decision, but also long-term decision. Something that you decide today may have uh, impact in the future. So this is what I want to teach her, which I think... I need to use my own wisdom also. Yeah. I want to ask you a philosophical question, right? Mm. You have you have this resilience, this ability to adapt to different circumstances in you because you yourself went through challenges yes. when you were young. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Without putting through our child or children into similar circumstances, mm. similar environment. Mm. How could we still teach him to be resilient? That is some, some excellent question, right? Because uh, normally as a parent, when you have experienced this hardship, you don't want this to happen to your kids. Exactly. Right? However, 
So this is my, at least this is my current thought. Yeah. We should not worry that our kids will not have challenges. They will have their own challenges. If they go to school, they will be bullies. They will be a tough headmaster or whatsoever, right? That at school. And that's a, I would say a controllable and manageable environment. And there will be an unexpected chance. If our generation is COVID, maybe in the future, there will be something else. There will be a new 9-11, new financial crisis or whatsoever. Yeah. We shouldn't worry it will not come. It will come anyway. Yeah. However, what we can do as a parent is to really develop this mindset that challenges are normal. When you are facing these challenges, what needs to be done? What kind of mindset that you need to have? So I think this is what I want to prepare. And by this conversation, thank you for having this conversation. It really uh, conceptualized the thinking, right? As you grow up, then I want to have, I can, I cannot wait. That I can have this conversation with her. Now she's very cute, and yeah, I think she tried to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> hey, maybe our, our children will have a podcast together in the future, right? How how cool is that? Exactly. Right. So yeah. yeah. Oh, here's my here's to my two boys, Finn and Chase. So and make sure you un- reach out to Uncle Handy. <laughs> so you guys are gonna have a podcast with his daughter someday <laughs> with, with Heidi so yeah so we are making a podcast today in the future our kids will have podcast together yeah that yeah. will be beautiful yeah well can't wait to see that yeah so much pressure for our children <laughs> it's okay if you guys don't feel like it <laughs> just a coffee <laughs> hey, I want to end this conversation by um, a question from you a question you want to ask the next guest and you don't know this who this person is going to be okay uh I want to ask, when you are facing big challenge in your life, how do you make yourself keep carry on and pressing forward? I've seen a lot of my past idols, Bruce Lee, Elvis Presley, Whitney Houston and all that, they died young. Mm. Right. And then now with all the uh, information, now we know they're also having depression. They cannot, mm, they cannot control or manage their fame, their wealth and everything. You see, they mm-hmm. cannot move forward and carry on. Yeah. Right. They use drugs. They use to numb the pain. Yeah. Numb to numb the pain. Mm-hmm. Living is much more challenging than being dead. Mm. How do you keep uh, the fame and move forward in life. Mm, love that question. Love that question. I don't know how to answer it myself. Yeah. In, yeah. At, and in time, it's like you want to give up, right? Yeah. I actually think it's okay to take a rain check on things, right? You don't need to feel 100% every day. Mm. But you always have a, ch- like you said, you always have a conscious choice about how you want to spend your time, right? You're feeling down. Go out, have a beer with a friend, ring you up, co-author a book, right? 
have ramen together. We had ramen just before this. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. fun. It feels so good. Right? Exercise. Mm. Yeah, take a break, go on a holiday. Right? And, and I think even better is if you anticipate that tipping point is coming, don't let yourself get to that. Right? Self-care. We, we fill your cup before your cup gets empty. Yeah. I'll, next, I'll let the next guest know about your question. And again, thank you so much for this thoughtful dialogue and the ramen <laughs> and uh, all, the, all the wisdom that you shared today. Thank you really, so much, Aaron. It's I a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I'll give you a hug after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or we can hug over the table. Thank you, man. Thank you. See you, man. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you.